Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. This is a Lip Media Podcast. And welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, the master of depravity, and I am here with a man that doesn't have a special title, James Ray, but he has the most special title of all, my friend. It's not that special. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, James. Welcome, James. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. So, I've got a pitch for you. I've got a pitch for you to hear. What if you could have all the racism and vapidness of a gay bar in one convenient app on your phone? I would I would really not appreciate that no. very much. No, no, you would have men bugging you all the time, wanting to stick dicks in various parts of your body. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Stephen Hort, the grinder killer, whose tyranny uh, happened in the mid-2000s. Uh, Stephen Port was known for a number of murders, four murders, and a number of sexual assaults, and got the uh, the name The Grinder Killer, which we will see is nonsense, because he only met people on Grinder twice. And the other one was Fit Lads, which I've, I've never been on personally. Guy. Please don't look it up. And what was the other one? Was the other one actually out at... One was an escort site. Escort there site. was an escort site, and then there were two grinder ones, and there was another app as well. Ah, yes. okay. The story of Stephen Port uh, begins uh, on the 22nd of February 1975. He was born in Essex um, and grew up mostly in East London. As a child, he was a bit of a loner, uh, known for his peculiar childlike behaviour. Which, as a child, as a child, had peculiar, peculiar. (laughs) Okay, wait, I wrote that because I wanted to talk about, he had childlike behavior also as an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not peculiar if you're a childlike as a child. (laughs) Uh, He was, he was bullied mercilessly as a child, um, not as an adult, as a child, uh, and Not that that's an excuse for anything, but possibly explains his approach to things socially. Um, He came out as gay to his family in the mid-2000s and moved to Barking in London, where he lived in a flat. Um, And that is where the tyranny began. At this time, he was working as a chef in a bus depot, 
which is odd because I don't know what Have you ever heard of that before? A bus depot. Like, what a great thing if you're a bus driver. You get a free meal from a serial killer. Was it for the bus drivers or was it for the customers? Oh, well, yeah, now that makes a little bit oh, more okay. sense to me. I like your I like your version <laughs> better. It's like a cute little chef meal for the bus drivers. I'm all about the labour movement. Okay, <laughs> it's true. Uh, his neighbours described him as a bit different, but he was well known in the local gay scene um, and frequently hosted parties and was quite social. But underneath it all, uh, Stephen had a sinister side. He would spend his nights looking up very nichely themed pornography, which was all about uh, unconscious men. And to this, he had very similar characteristics to another killer that was covered by this podcast, oh. Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, uh, James is a terrible friend and hasn't listened to the podcast before. I did that in anticipation for one day being on it. I was holding out. Um... <laughs> Excuses. Uh... <laughs> Uh, so if I was to use the term somnophilia, would you know what I was talking about? Somnophilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would assume that it meant that um, being attracted to people who are unconscious. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Right. So um, Stephen Port had somnophilia. He was sexually attracted to unconscious men. And Jeffrey Dahmer had this as well. And it mm. says uh, a lot about what Stephen Port potentially could have been because... Jeffrey Dahmer started off with this somnophilia, raping men when they were unconscious, Mm. moving on to murdering men, and that evolved into, if you listen to the podcast, unlike James, that evolved into uh, necrophilic fantasies where he would, you know, have detached heads and he had masturbation shrines, etc. So before the murders began, um, it is suspected that Stephen Port probably committed a number of rapes and druggings of men Mm. um, with GHB. Uh, Some of those victims came forward after the murders came to light, but for many, um, it it was something that they just assumed that they'd had a big night and and were unconscious, or maybe they were embarrassed about what had occurred. And this is a relevant factor, um, because I don't know where you, I'm no innocent person, James, but... I'm not aware of GHB being a huge drug in Australia, in the gay scene. Mm. Well, I think it's it is, is if you if you are at those um, chemsex parties, it does float around. But I think in the UK there is much more yeah. of a sense of that uh, concern or panic in the UK. It seems like there seems to be a bit more but, of that in hand with meth use as well, that they seem to go... You've been in the UK. Close, close together. You yeah. were like... You I were thought you were going to ask me something else. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, <laughs> You're not admitting to any yeah, drug no. taking on the podcast. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, but like the, the uh, like... Am I correct in thinking that GHB is more common in the UK than it is Australia, in Australia in terms of like just as a recreational drug? I feel I feel like it is, and I feel like it does appear more in the news. Like, remember there were a whole bunch of those deaths within sex on-site venues where people were just constantly ODing yeah. or GHB. Uh, but but I have seen uh, at a venue here that there were a, a few cases of GHB overdose. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. So there was um with. Because I'm an adult industry consultant, um, one of the sex and premises venues there, they were talking about like there's a name for it, um, G dropping, G dropping, G dropping. Is, G-dropping. Is yeah, that okay. when people go unconscious? 
That sounds like you're taking it. Anyway, I'm going to use drug slang without actually knowing what I'm talking about. But because it's a depressant, right? Mm. I've heard, so people do take it recreationally, Mm. and it has effects very similar to alcohol. But people like it because unlike alcohol, it doesn't contain any calories. Well, what are what are great Weight Watchers products <laughs> yes. to put in? Uh, I think I think what is really interesting about GHB is it doesn't seem to have those really long term effects either. Yeah, you have no hangover. Like, there's either. no hangover. Yeah, um, you can keep partying and you can have another dose, and you think that it's kind of okay. You think that it's kind of an all right thing thing to do after a while. And then once you start mixing those things with like. Uh, Amyl or meth or things like that. Yes. Or, or or even alcohol as well. It's just like unconscious city. So, know. as you said, there was this huge media... Well, there is this huge media sensationalization around chemsex mm. and mixing GHB and meth and stuff with sex in the UK. Mm. And I think it's important to note that because that's quite relevant to how Stephen Port undertook his crimes later on. Mm. He took advantage of this media sensationalization around sex so let's get to the murders <laughs> i shouldn't laugh at that <laughs> but here we are we laugh about murders all the yeah. time there it's light on this podcast uh so um Stephen port uh, murdered four young men um as i said he probably committed uh, numerous rapes as well um that were not fully documented Do you think there was more than that in terms of murder yeah well, given what we've seen, what we will see in a moment, um, I think he managed to get away with a lot more than he probably should have. Mm. So, yeah, I would I would be questioning whether or not there were other overdoses in the area that were actually involved with this. Mm. Um, the murders took place over a very short period of time, which actually to me would indicate that that maybe there's not more because maybe he had a urge and kind of express that urge once it had built up over time. So the murders took place between June 2014 and September of 2015. Mm. So just over a year. Uh, Port's first victim was, well, first known victim, I should, I should mm. say, was um, Anthony Walgate. Now, Anthony Walgate was 23. He was working, he was a fashion student, um, but he was also working as a male escort. On the 19th of June, 2014, uh, Port met Wargate on an escort site. I can't remember the name of it, but on an escort site and offered him 800 pounds for sex. Um, Wargate had been working as an escort for a period of time um, and in fact made a really uh, haunting statement to his friends in that he told his friends where he was meeting Port, just they were meeting at a midpoint of the train station, told his friends that and said, just letting you know in case I end up dead. I saw a report that he actually showed them a photo as well. Oh, Stephen. Is that right? That might wow. be the case. Yeah. 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 Um, which, as we'll see, is pretty damning uh, going forward. Uh, the, pet, uh, the pair met up at, at Barking Train Station, which is near where he lived, and then they travelled back to uh, Stephen's flat. There, Stephen offered Walgate a drink laced with lethal doses of GHB. When Walgate was unconscious, he sexually assaulted his unconscious body. The prosecutors alleged at one point that he may have injected Walgate with a number of drugs at this mm. point as well, but I, I don't know if that was ever firmly established. Um, 
as a result, Wargate experienced an overdose, um, and Stephen left his body in the pathway uh, just next to his building. And importantly here, and why this seems like he's most likely being his first kill, is that um, Stephen Port actually called emergency services. So he called 999, um, reported that a young man had collapsed or had a seizure or was drunk uh, near the street outside his flat. But by the time emergency services arrived, um, Wargate was already dead. Mm. And there was the evidence that perhaps his shirt was lifted up a little bit to indicate that perhaps he'd been dragged from another place. Mm. Right? Yeah. Well, and those suspicions um, were exacerbated because police actually ended up tracing, at this point, ended up tracing down the 999 call, the emergency call, um, to Stephen Port, um, and he gave inconsistent statements to police. In one statement, he said that he had simply seen him outside the building, um, and in another statement, he said that they had um, actually been together, and then he had left, and that, that is what had occurred. Now, we'll see um, that um, those inconsistent statements actually led to Stephen Port being charged with perverting the course of justice. Mm. Um, and he served a bit of time in a couple of months after that. At no point, though, did the police seem to undertake any investigation into whether or not he was directly involved. Did either. they look at his phone or his laptop his phone was or taken. anything like that? Right. So, so, so um, Stephen Port's computer was seized but never searched. And that was one of the main criticisms is that uh, if you went on his computer, it would be all of this pornography about having sex with unconscious men, which would have raised some red flags. On a search history, it would just be like... So like oh. I, I don't even know what the name for that is. Like... Unconscious sleepy, sleepy, sleepy time dude. fun. These also aren't suggestions. <laughs> no, no. For you to look these things up. Well, no, I said in the but, Jeffrey Dahmer one, I was like, you can have this fantasy. I actually don't think the fantasy is inherently harmful if it's pursued in a consensual way. Um, but given that both Jeffrey Dahmer and Stephen Port similarly had these fetishes, um, probably an indication to maybe speak to someone if you have these fantasies, to make yeah. sure that your boundaries are in place. I mean, sometimes I trundle through the Victoria market and I have a look at, a, at an octopus and go, there's some very lovely tentacles that octopus has. I need to stop watching all of those Japanese uh, things. As long as the watch. octopus consents, it's yeah, fine. It's fine. I mean, it's asleep, so... Oh, yeah. oh is it a dead octopus? <laughs> Maybe that's the solution. Maybe that's the solution. If you're right? into uncon unconscious yeah. things, yeah. get a get a dead animal. Get, get a, a different unconscious thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or a doll. They have or sex doll. dolls now. They have sex dolls now. Yeah. And you can link up sex dolls to online porn sites. Yeah. That ah. will react. With your, that's probably another podcast. But they'll This is sex react. therapy tips yeah, with Jared Gates. <laughs> hey, guys. Um, <laughs> Um, so, shockingly, there were no red flags at this point. Um, and Stephen Port was charged, and he was convicted of perverting the course of justice, but he um, could serve his sentence at a later date. So there were a number of months when he knew that he was going to serve his sentence later on. In that time, he killed another man, uh, a man by the name of Gabriel Kovari. Um, he was a 22-year-old Slovakian man um, who had moved to, to London to start a new life. Um, I don't have down here how Port and Kavari first met. I imagine either on the gay scene or via mm. some sort of app. 
Um, but eventually they got into an arrangement where Kovari um, left where he currently was living in London and decided to um, live in Stephen Fort's uh, flat rent-free. Um, that was something that, that Stephen Fort had offered. Mm. Uh, by all accounts, they weren't having sex. So I, I thought that this was potentially an arrangement where like Stephen Fort was having him around to have sex with him. But, but, but according to Kavari's statement at the time, no. Mm. Um, didn't have a sexual relationship. Kavari did tell a friend, though, that Fort was kind of different in many ways. <laughs> and all of this stuff, I don't know if you felt like this, but um, you look at an image of Stephen Fort. He's a scary looking guy. He's a bit off. He's a bit smashed. Yeah. He's a bit, he's a bit, he's a bit face smashed. Something's happened to his nose. And something's happened there. There's, there's been something hidden. I do find that relationship very sus, though. Mm. Like sus in the sense of what, what was uh, Port getting out of that arrangement? Was it just to have this lovely Slovakian twink wandering yeah. around to, to give his uh, friends and neighbours an illusion of... Um, of success or something very yeah. strange like that. Well, the because... thing is, yeah, it's, it's not like he was hidden away or anything, though. Like, Kavari was apparently friends with a lot of the neighbours yeah. and people it was well-liked nearby. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I did, when I heard that, I did think, I thought that was potentially, like, a sex work thing happening, but, mm. but maybe not. Um, at least in terms of the report that I've heard of Kavari and his friends, that it wasn't a sexual relationship. And that unit that he moved from with that... Uh... With his previous housemate, yeah, his his previous housemate was very concerned about him, and actually, I saw an ITV interview with him as mm. well, and he was very concerned. And John Pape, is John his name. Pape, that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Um, and well, he became quite concerned because he hadn't heard from Kavari for a number of months initially. Um, in fact, a number of Kavari's friends became concerned. Um, some of them asked Port, um, what had happened, and Port replied that that Kavari had moved away. He even said to one of Kavari's friends that um, he'd moved back to Slovakia and then passed away from a sudden illness with the oh, line. God. Yeah. yeah. Um, in reality, of course, I mean, we don't know the sequence of events here, but Porter obviously at some point laced Kavari's drink um, with GHB um, and potentially some other drugs. There were other drugs found in his system sometime in July or August um, and kept the body in the flat initially so in right. august of 2015 um uh sorry this might be 2014 port told his sister on the phone that there was a dead body in the bed in his flat she told him to call police and she did nothing further with that information so she knew she knew well the way he described it to her was that there was a dead body in the flat and she said, "Well, if that's true, call the police." And then he, and then she knew nothing else. She did not follow it up in any other way. Ridiculous. Some freaky shit. Um, Kavari's body was found in a um, church. What was that kind of a church courtyard? But it was actually a graveyard, essentially. It was a cemetery. Yeah. Um, his body was found at that 500 meters away from Port's apartment, Stephen Port's apartment. He was propped up and wearing sunglasses uh, next to a bag of his belongings. Um, phone wasn't there. And Kavari's body was found by a woman who was walking her dog through the cemetery. He was the first one, right? 
Yes. The the pathologist report noted the overdose of GHB in his system and the police ruled it as an accidental overdose. Now, Kavari's friend, John Pape, um, chose not to, or didn't want to believe that, didn't think it sounded right to him. In fact, he just popped into Google suspicious deaths in that area and the first thing um, that came out was the anti-Wargate death. And so... To him, it seemed really obvious that there was something else going on. He told police, uh, and the police did nothing with it. Port's next victim was 21-year-old trainee chef Daniel Whitworth, um, who lived with his boyfriend, Ricky. Whitworth had been chatting to Port on and off on an app, I assume Grinder, given his name, in late August, uh, when the pair finally decided to meet up. Um, and they met at Port's flat for drinks. Port did his thing, laced the drink with GHB and overdosed. Port then had sex with uh, Daniel Whitworth's body. His body was placed in the same graveyard as Kavari. His phone was taken away, uh, and Port had uh, taken the phone again. So same same mm. MO as the, the previous victim. Poe, uh, Port, though, had uh, also faked a suicide note um, and placed it in Whitworth's hand, which claimed that Whitworth was responsible for the death of Gabriel Cavari and had taken his own life mm. in response. Whitworth, in the same place? Yes. That he died? In, in the exact same place, in the exact same situation with all the other factors at play. Do you have sunglasses on too? I don't think he did, no. He probably didn't have any on him. But Whitworth's body was found by the same dog walker (laughs) that originally found Kavari's body. I've seen a photo of her. She just has a general look of shock on her face. and that's It's an unlucky fucking month. (laughs) It's very unlucky, but I don't know about you, and not to say anything because she's obviously walked her dog through this park a lot, and... I'm just not up for walking pets through graveyards. Yeah. You know? It's I just like not, graveyards, it's just though. I like them too, but, like, I don't know if I want to keep going back there if I've if I've seen a dead body Oh, that's true. That's true. Know? But maybe your logic comes in and you go, okay, what are the chances oh, of another dead body in the same exact pl- place? The she same might have loved place? it. She might have been one of those, like, suburban sleuths who was, like, secretly loving that she was uncovering different things. When Daniel Whitworth's family were notified that he had committed suicide and they looked at the suicide note, they just didn't believe it. Um, one, he was very happy, happily um, with his boyfriend. He had a great job. There was no indications. Not that that's always the indication, but there was no indications that he was likely to commit suicide. They also looked at the note and didn't feel like the note was his handwriting, which should be red flags. Subsequently, we know that Stephen Port's DNA was all over the suicide note, and we also know that it was his handwriting. Mm. Police did no analysis to determine that. Were the phrases in the letter really strange as well? That's what I found when I read it, is that it said things like, I want to say goodbye to everyone. It was was really generic Mm. phrasing, like, oh, I'm so sorry to my family and it didn't really name anybody in particular and i do believe now you i'm remembering it the suicide note says things like 
um, I did this and no one else did. Yeah, no one else did. It was all me. I take full responsibility. Yes. Yeah, see you later. Done and dusted, right? Adding to yeah. that was that there was no evidence that Daniel Whitworth and Gabrielle Kubari knew each other. Oh, at all? There was no oh, evidence okay. at all indicating that they'd known each other. So this idea that they had, I, mean, I think the narrative um, is that they had sex and one of them had overdosed and the other person had died. There was, there was no evidence linking the two together at any time. Oh, spicy. Um, at this time, Gabrielle Cavari's ex-boyfriend, um, Terry, I believe his name is, mm. um, was contacted by a person on Facebook who was making claims that he saw Whitworth and Cavari at an orgy in which there was younger men at the orgy and older men at the orgy and that they were all doing heaps of drugs. And at that event, um, Cavari went unconscious. It's now believed that that person messaging the ex-boyfriend of Kavari was actually Stephen Fort. And he was creating this narrative that these two guys were actually just party boys and they were doing lots of drugs and that's what resulted in... They're crazy. They're loose. They're yeah. all over it. They have no idea what time it is. And I, find this, like, I yeah. find this fascinating because he's, he's, he's using the hype of the day, that kind of chemsex hype, to his advantage to kind of cover up what was really morely target more targeted predatory behavior yeah it's pretty it's pretty dark it's pretty dark he was obviously weaving his own reality into the piece to mm. uh feel like he can continue going with what he was doing this so so this created this narrative that maybe kavari and whitworth <laughs> were uh part of this underground sex party group and maybe we need to investigate these sorts of people um, it's, this information was passed on police, onto police, police did nothing with it. Mm. Um, but it was around this time that a lot of LGBT media, media and organizations started to raise a couple of eyebrows about the case. In particular, they were worried that there was a situation where a lot of young men were being taken advantage of older men mm. in this kind of chemsex type environment. But young men were taking advantage of older men. Old men would take oh. were taken advantage of younger men. I was going to see. I don't know what I said. I'll check the tape. <laughs> That's a powerful twink. <laughs> right after Daniel Whitworth's death, um, Stephen Port would served his couple of months that he got for perverting the course of justice. Um, no red flags were raised at that time uh, to do with him whilst he was in their custody. Hmm. No further investigation had happened. Um, when he was released. He uh, killed his fourth and final victim. Port's final victim was 25-year-old truck driver Jack Taylor, who lived in uh, Dagenham. I don't know where that is. Dagenham. Dagenham. Uh, he lived there with his parents. On the 14th of September 2015, Jack returned home from a local pub at the early hours of the morning. And as we all do when we're a bit shit-faced early hours in the morning, hopped on the Grinder app. You have a little click. Yep. You have a little flick, you yeah. get a bit of dick. See who's out there. Yeah. See who's out there. Um, he matched with Stephen Port, chatted with Stephen Port, and then took a cab to um, Port's flat. When he got there, Stephen Port drugged him with GHB and also methamphetamine and raped him. He overdosed and died. His body was placed where all the other victims were found and his phone was taken. This is the third one. 
And I, I actually don't even understand Stephen Port's rationale here because he killed the second, the third one to deal with the second one. And then how would he even start to integrate the fourth one? Yeah, the, the, the narrative makes no sense. And look, when his body was found, that was obviously a huge red flag that this was actually a serial killer. Um, but also Taylor's family um, and friends, in particular his sisters, who knew him really, really well, were very adamant that he was kind of virulently anti-drugs. Mm. So the idea that he was in, involved in some sort of chem-sexy party scene just didn't match up to, with who he was as a person. Police at that time didn't take those, those concerns seriously, and it actually took um, Taylor's sisters conducting their own investigation and highlighting and documenting all the three other previous um, deaths and going to the media with that, that actually resulted in the police finally taking action. Right. So pretty ridiculous. Um, and so a loose coalition of friends and families of the four victims ended up coming together. They put pressure on the police. The police eventually ended up releasing a CCTV footage of um, Jack Taylor and who he was with that night. They originally just kept that to themselves. They didn't ask for public assistance to identify. And they were pretty reluctant to, I read. Yeah. They were really reluctant to actually put that footage out there because, like, who knows? We don't want somebody who is potentially innocent to, like, be, be shamed. And I, I kind of get their rationale, I'm sure, was this was some innocent guy and this was some consensual thing. Yeah. So I think at least how they rationalised it in their head. Um, but when the CCTV footage was released, um, Stephen Port was identified and arrested. Um, all the things fell into place, particularly once the investigation team switched from the local police who were handling all of it initially to the specialist homicide squad. Mm. They put all the dots together. Stephen Port, when he was in, in, on trial, um, pled not guilty. Uh, but eventually he was successfully prosecuted for um, an, four charges of murder and 10 charges of rape and sexual assault. 10? Yeah, oh so God. inclusive of the murder victims um, as well as other men that I come see. forward. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was given a sentence of life and given what's quite unique in the UK, which is a um, whole life order, which right. means that, that he's, he's never getting out of prison. Um, recently this year, uh, the drug dealer who dealt, um, who sold Seaport the GHB, has also been convicted. Obviously, because of the stories that had come up in relation to the police investigation, um, the uh, 17 of the police officers from the local police station were investigated by the Independent Office of Police Conduct to determine what had actually gone wrong. You know, several steps of this investigation um, seemed to indicate that Stephen Port should have been found quite early on, and, and he wasn't. Um, the inquiry and the report from the Independent Office of Police Conduct did notice uh, and identify systemic failings within the police, mm. but no disciplinary action was taken of any of the officers that were involved in the case. Well, that's what you call a clusterfuck. It is. Yeah, where you cannot pin responsibility on anybody because everyone fucked up, right? Yeah, I don't, yeah, was it them covering themselves up? You know, and I, they have never come out publicly to understand their rationale and what they were thinking about things. Like, 
did they think, you know, a lot of the, the, the commentary in the media is talking about the fact that this was, this was homophobic action by police, but at least on my reading, I don't think it was that malicious. I don't think, I don't think it was that malicious. I think when you're, when you've got a police force who are faced with kind of different kinds of murder on a daily basis, a very easy thing to do is to go and say, okay, well, here's a bit of this, here's a bit of that. That kind of creates a picture for that isolated scenario. Yeah. That'll do. The families um, of all the victims um, have, have put out a, a civil claim against the Metropolitan Police mm. because of their actions at the time. At this stage, that, that civil case hasn't progressed any further, at least from what I've read. Um, but it'll be interesting to see because I do believe, you know, people haven't been held accountable because of this and they probably should be. But they probably won't. But they probably won't be, unfortunately. And there'll be a cheeky little settlement on the side. Potentially. Yeah. 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 Uh, as for Stephen Port, he is still in prison uh, and he's just started a relationship, apparently, with a Ooh. notorious pedophile named Richard Huckle. See, you can meet people in person. Well, exactly. Yeah. I wonder if he, like, pretends to be asleep for him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to James for joining me. You can check out Sinister Sissies on Twitter and Patreon at Sinister Sissies, or you can check out my Twitter at Jared Bartle, that is Jared with a Y. And until next time, stay sinister.